You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to Stagecraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of Stagecraft, I'm talking to Lauren Yi and Che Yu, the writer and director of the new off-Broadway play, Cambodian Rock Band. The genre-bending show is part play and part rock concert, telling the story of one man's return to Cambodia for the first time since he survived the Khmer Rouge genocide, and the memories he must confront during a visit to his American daughter who's in Phnom Penh grappling in her own way with the legacy of dictator Pol Pot. The New York production of Cambodian Rock Band, now playing at Signature Theatre, hits off-Broadway after the show has already become something of a sensation around the country as one of the top ten new plays produced in the U.S. this season. It's the work of playwright Lauren Yee, whose show The Great Leap had an off-Broadway run last year, and director Che Yu, the artistic director of Chicago's Victory Gardens Theatre. They're both in the studio with me to talk confronting history, Cambodian rock, and cracking the form of a play whose cast is also a rock band. Hi, Lauren and Che. Thanks for joining me. Hi. Um, Lauren, let's start by talking a little bit about the genesis of Cambodian rock band. When did the idea first occur to you and what made you decide to pursue it? Yes. So in 2011, two things happened. One was that I visited Cambodia for the first time as part of a larger Southeast Asian vacation, basically. And, you know, like I'm not Cambodian American. I didn't know anything about the country or its history growing up. And so I really went into the country with no expectations uh, or preconceived notions of what the country was like. And in a way, I fell in love with with the place that, um, you know, Cambodia has the beautiful like Angkor Wat temple complex, just like the food and everything was amazing. And also a big part of what you see when you're a tourist going to Cambodia is genocide-related sites. The Killing Fields, S21 Prison, uh, it, it, it kind of is, it's almost a surreal experience kind of seeing the big, beautiful, historic temples and then also very recent uh, genocide-related history that kind of you know, it was it was in the late 70s that a lot of this occurred, um, which for a lot of people is not too distant. Right. And how and so what 
what spark do you recall what the spark was for the play oh and yes then, I, I yeah. forgot like the second part of that yeah. the second part of that uh, a little more joyful was that later that year i was in san diego for grad school and one of my good friends was like we're gonna go and see my favorite band they're playing at this music festival we have to go and i remember dinner ran late and we were like walking there so we almost i think actually missed their set but we got there in time for the last couple songs that this band, Dengue Fever, was playing. And I think actually the first song of theirs that I heard was uh, 1,000 Tears of a Tarantula, which is one of their biggest hits. And it's that very incredible experience of as soon as you hear this band play, you don't know anything about them. You don't know their music. The music may not even be in... English language, but there's some something in the music that you hear that just moves you. And this is what happened when I heard Dengue Fever play. And I immediately went home and went down this whole YouTube rabbit hole of who are they? Where does their music come from? Why does it sound so different? And I kind of stumbled on this whole genre of Cambodian surf rock music. So Dengue Fever is a contemporary band based in LA and their sound is influenced by Cambodian surf rock of the 60s and 70s. And their front woman, Chomni Mall, is Cambodian American. And, you know, she's she is basically like the voice for this music. Right. And then so how did you think about figuring out that story and approaching a story that, mm -hmm. um, you know, was not, you say you're, you aren't yourself Cambodian American. Yeah. How did you think about sort of telling that story sensitively and figuring yeah. out what that story was and I think it, how it, to tell it? It took me a long time to figure out how to properly tell that story. Uh, kind of from 2011 to 2015, mm. it was an idea that I had basically kind of the nugget being, you know, during the four years that the Khmer Rouge was in power, 90% of Cambodia's musicians died because they were specifically targeted and also just because conditions in the country were so poor. And I was like, there's something in there that feels really fascinating and shocking and difficult. And I, so I wanted to find a way to tell that story. And for a long time, I had like bad ideas about how to tell that. <laughs> uh, can you give us an example? Uh, that I, th I think an early, like an early version of a play about this was about like two sisters, you know, whose, whose mother uh, had recently passed away. And like the sisters were trying to like unpack the mother's depression and trauma. And it was a very kind of like dark and difficult story. And I think it was also like not kind of where my work lives. I think my work lives in a very joyful, funny place, even unexpectedly so. And so it didn't feel right. And I was like, okay, that's not working. So I scrapped that. And then I was like, oh, okay, maybe there's like an, I tried like a different version about uh, like a young, like a young uh, mixed race Cambodian Cambodian American woman who is trying to like deal with her relationship with her like white father who like kidnaps her. And that wasn't right either. Um, Cause like all of these were very kind of like heavy and uh, kind of saw survivors as 
people who were broken. And I think that was wrong uh, based on like what I'm interested in as a writer. And so it's like for a long time, it wasn't working. And I was like throwing things away. And my husband was like, you're never going to write this play. You know, you keep talking about it. Uh, but you've just never figured it out. And then in 2015, I got commissioned by South Coast Rep in Orange County to write a play for them. And it was a commission that they basically said, write whatever you want, but before you do, come to Orange County and spend two weeks here because we believe that there are many more stories in Orange County than than people think. And they were right. Uh, because when I went there, I kind of chose like a random two-week period to come. And it was kind of like the things in the universe aligned so that it became clear what my play should be about by the end of it. That From talking to people in the community? from uh, to- That like I was looking at everything in Orange County from like food courts to mega churches mm-hmm. to like language schools and the thing that kept popping up over and over uh, was the Cambodian music scene. Dengue Fever was playing in Long Beach. There was an all-day Cambodian music festival. We ended up kind of being invited to very last minute the Cambodia Town fundraiser. Um, so it's just kind of all of these things that I was like, oh, I think I know what my play is going to be about. And then that was approximately around the time when I met this actor, Joe No, or not met him. I'd known him beforehand, but uh, when I started talking to him about the idea for this play and he was like, you know, oh my God, this is, this is my story. And I was like, oh yes, like how you, how universal the story of Cambodia um, and music and art is. And he was like, no, uh, my parents are from Cambodia um, this is my, this is my story. And so that really began a very long partnership. Um, he's in the signature production. He is in the signature. He's, he's, I mean, he is the star of that. Production. He is yeah. the star of it. And yeah. it's a, it's a play that exists for, because of all the ways in which he is a unique and incredible performer mm-hmm. that, you know, he's perfect for the role and he also plays electric guitar. Yeah. <laughs> Conveniently. Yeah. Yep. And so, Che, what was what was your first involvement with the piece? This is not the first uh, staging of Cambodian rock band that you've staged. No, Lauren had reached out to me with a new play and asked me my thoughts of the play. And I this play, yeah, this okay. particular yeah. play. We had known each other uh, years past, you know, as a playwright, and I at the time as a producer at the Victory Garden Theater in Chicago. Right. Yeah. So, reading the play, we we talked a little bit. At some point, there was a mention of me doing the workshop of it, but the stars in the line. And when there was a commitment to the production at South Coast, Lauren asked me to come on board. And that was the first journey I had with this play to this present day. And what were, what, what are the pitfalls uh, in your mind? What were the pitfalls as you were both going into this production? Like what were the things that you were trying to mm, be aware of and, uh, you know, sort of step around as you're, um, as you're like trying to tell this story? And I think, what Lauren had articulated about the honesty and truth of a community and its history was very uh, big on my mind. How do you actually represent that? Having lived in Southeast Asia in my childhood, you know, uh, in the 70s, particularly as a child, mm-hmm. I remembered every moment of it in the newspapers. 
about the Khmer Rouge, about at the time called being called Kampuchea. And like Lauren, um, I had gone to Cambodia before ever encountering a play, went to S21, The mm-hmm. Killing Fields. Mm-hmm. And I remember going into uh, S21 and the, for, the uh, architecture of that high school being the prison was exactly the same architecture as my high school. Wow. So there was some visceral experience that I had, and I'm trying to unpack that by actually also trying to figure out what that relationship I had, my feelings and my past, with Lauren's play. And Lauren's play had so many multiple facets of it. And I kept thinking, which is kind of tricky too, because aspects of her play were complicated for me as an individual to address because I guess I'm kind of emotionally verklempt throughout my entire life. So the notion of relationships, family, and also the idea of government and regimes having lived in Singapore, mm. which is also a different kind of authoritarian, uh, authoritative kind of government. So the pitfalls, I think, ultimately is representing what is in the play and how to also bring a part of me to the play that I can have a conversation with brutally and honestly. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about the form of the play because it's not, there is quite a bit of, you know, as, as Lauren was describing a Cambodian surf rock, uh, influenced music. Um, but it's not a musical, right? I mean, would you call it a musical? It's, I, I would call it a play with music, but yeah, you, I, yeah. I think, I think play with music is or right. Play with rock concert. Yeah. I don't know. Because I think, um, the way that music operates in the world is that, you know, it is, it is about this band. We should hear this band play. We should fall in love with their music. Yeah. The characters in the play are in this band. Yep. yep. Uh, but listening to individual songs is not going to be like, Oh, you know, like I've, I know more about the plot now or like right. the characters are kind of telling me narrative through song. Cause also half the so- half the songs are in Kamai. True. And so, you know, I think it's about bringing that emotional quality to the piece. And why was it? Why is that important to the piece? Um, do you mean why is what? Why? Why was? What do you feel like the music having the music there and as such a prominent part of it? Yeah. Um, why was that important? Yeah. To the piece overall for you. So originally, it was just a play. There was no. There was no mm. music in it. It was about music. Um, and then gradually I realized, A, it was possible to put music in there because there were all these very musically talented Asian American actors who could mm. be in it. So I was like, great. Yeah. They all play instruments. We yeah. should say everyone in the cast. Yep. And then I think the other part of it is that if I, as the writer are trying to show you why this music was important mm-hmm. to a country, to a community, to these individual characters uh you should you should fall in love with it too you should be able to hear it and be like yes like i know exactly why this music was so important um and i and i think it's something that helps especially like a non-cambodian audience just get into the narrative with us that they're like oh my god this you know it's like really great thing of I, n- I may not know anything about Cambodia or the history, but oh my God, this music's amazing. Right. Yeah. And what, Che, for, as the director, what logistically does, does having, uh, is it uh, f- five actors total who play instruments yes, that are right. part of the band? Like that, uh, they all have to, at least four of them have to really be musicians, right? And uh, how, how, 
how much harder does that make casting? How much harder does that make rehearsal? All that stuff. Well, infinitely very complicated and difficult um, because to form a band, sometimes you take, it takes years. Right. You just can't do it in the four-week rehearsal period. And we're fortunate to have some of the original members of the band come together for this production here at Signature Theater. And original to the South Coast Rep production. Yes, it's been some with swaps. It for a while. Yeah, yeah, there was some swaps. Ultimately, there are three original with an with an extra that has joined us from the from Oregon. But right. ultimately, it's a formation of playing together for the last couple of months. Right. Yeah. Right. And how wh- how did you think about sort of m- making these? To the world of the rock concert and the world of the story, how did you think about making them live together on stage? I think it's partially in the script, which I do mm. love, but I also do love theatricality that melts and blends. And I think what Lauren had also articulated earlier, which I found very interesting too, is you know we have to set up the music. And for me, dramaturgically, once you understand what a culture has, now you're going to see in Act Two what we're going to do when we destroy it and completely eliminate it and the lack of it and how it comes back in, into a rebirth. So looking at that, the question then becomes not to make it into a musical, but how it both music and drama holds hands. And I think through the time shifts, through location shifts, it's actually a beautiful little exploration of, of different genres and it becomes a beautiful I, – I love the ocean of it, mm-hmm. the many different things. So it's just charting the waters. Yeah. Yeah. And what the music that we are hearing? Some of it uh, was pre-existing. Some of it was written for the show. Do I have that right? So Let all me... of it was pre-existing. Okay. Um, the way to think about it is that uh, there's about a dozen songs in the show, and half of them are dengue fever songs. So right. written by a band in LA in the 2000s, and half of them are actual Cambodian oldies. Right. Um, and it's and it's a mix of English language and Khmer. Uh, you know, basically we're presenting the song in whatever the original language was because right. um, that seems like a fair way to do it. Right. And how, how did you go about choosing those songs? What was important yeah. uh, about them? As you- so, so initially, just because this was kind of such like a backwards process of getting music into the show. So first, I was like, oh, I love Dengue Fever. Uh and like their music is obviously like well cataloged. You can like find it easily on iTunes. Uh, I start like one of the f- earliest workshops. Uh, I was like, okay, let's like just try it if the actors bring in their instruments and we play some music. And so like we kind of started with like maybe four Dengue Fever songs or Dengue Fever song covered songs. Right. And so I think we started with. Uh, like Cement Slippers, I'm 16. Uh, I'm trying to think of which which other ones we did. Um, but just like a, ha- a handful of dengue songs. And, and then as we went along, we kept like adding more and more. So it started very heavily dengue. And then we added a couple. And then gradually we added more oldies mm-hmm. as as I was realizing, oh, like it should actually be about the past and the present coming together to, as Chase said, like create this rebirth. Which sort uh, of mirrors the plot yeah, of the show, right? Yep. Yeah. And, and so it's, you know, it actually very pleasantly became this like 50-50 mix of songs. And, and then like, as for like the Kamai Oldies, which are a little less 
well documented just because the Khmer Rouge destroyed so much of it. Mm. Uh, it's kind of not, I would say, well cataloged for say like a West a Western audience or an English English speaking audience. Um, and so it was a little more like looking on YouTube, you know, mm. that there's a guy who has like a whole trove of old records that he plays on videos. And I was like, I would look at it and be like, oh, that song's kind of interesting. Um, or there was a documentary called Don't Think I've Forgotten, which did a lot of the cataloging of this music and talked about specific artists. And that was really helpful. And then another part of it was that some of the songs are in the show because Joe knows parents like these songs, mm. uh, specifically... Champa Batambang, which is a very popular Cambodian song written by Sinsisthamuth. And I included it because Joe's parents liked it. And it was not until the production, when we started getting a sizable Cambodian American population, that I realized how much that song meant to that community and how prevalent it was that there are, you know, films about it that particular song there are singing contests dedicated to it everyone knows the song and because you know i am i was an outsider to that culture it's something that i've been learning as i've been going along i'll have more with lauren and Che right after the break hey it's the new year maybe you're like me and you've spent the holidays eating all of the Christmas cookies and drinking eggnog and coquito every single night for the last month. Perhaps you've set a new fitness goal or maybe just decided you should eat a vegetable now and then. Get started on your resolutions with Factor. Factor's ready-to-eat meal delivery takes the stress out of meal planning and sets you up for success. Skip the grocery stores, the prep work, and the cooking fatigue, and instead get chef-crafted, dietitian approved meals delivered right to your door. There are more than 35 meals to choose from each week, including options like keto and calorie smart and vegan and veggie and more, plus more than 55 weekly add-ons, so you'll have a ton of nutritious and flavorful options to kickstart your resolutions. I actually have experience with Factor from even before they took out an ad on this podcast. I got Factor for my mother, who lives alone, and she hates to cook, but she needs to eat. So I know about all the advantages that come with Factor, including there's no more frantic meal prep or rushed, unappetizing dinner. Because Factor's two-minute meals can help you fuel up fast with restaurant-quality food delivered right to your door. There's also loads of options beyond lunch and dinner, including smoothies and juices and breakfasts and snacks and anything you might want any time of day. Factor is cheaper and more delicious and usually a lot healthier than takeout. And they're super easy. Their chef-crafted restaurant-quality meals are ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. There's also a lot of flexibility, and this is key because nobody's life looks exactly the same from week to week. With Factor, you can change your order up every week. You can choose between 4 and 18 meals a week, or you can pause or you can reschedule your deliveries anytime. If you're looking for a special occasion meal or you just want to treat yourself, there's Gourmet Plus for when you're looking for fast upscale options done easily. They've also got Keto Meals and those Protein Plus meals to help you stay on track with your New Year's goals. Factor has everything you need for a week of flavorful, nutritious eats. In addition to ready-to-eat meals, they have cold-pressed juices, energy bites, extra protein, veggie sides, and more to keep you energized when life gets busy. Head to factormeals.com slash stagecraft50 and use code stagecraft50 to get 50% off. That's code stagecraft50 at factormeals.com slash stagecraft50 to get 50% off. 
Now here's more with playwright Lauren Yee and director Che Yu. The show and its sort of unconventional structure mm-hmm. and it's got, you know, the band and all the, the yeah. people all have to be. It seems like a big ask for mm-hmm. any theater, much less yep. a sort of regional theater. Um, and yet that doesn't seem to have sort of scared away so many of the theaters that have, uh, like it's become, mm-hmm. it's one of the top 10 most produced plays in the U.S. Um, uh, this season. Mm-hmm. And what do you feel like, what do you feel like people were really hungry for? What's the, why is the response so strong, do you feel? What do you think, Che? I have my theories. <laughs> Go with yours. Yeah. I mean, on one hand, it's a very daunting show in that you're like, you know, it'd be great if I could just do two people, man and a woman, any race. Kitchen sink. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no set. That'd be awesome. Um, but I think there's something about just how moving the music is, how many different levels the play goes to of like family play, music piece, history piece um, that just really makes people excited and be like, yes, this is this, you know, play has many kind of like demands, but, but it's so totally worth it, you know? Um, And just to like see those performances. And I think like one thing that I've been grateful for is the fact that Che's original South Coast production has had a very long life, which you don't normally get when you do theater. Usually you get like one production of this and then everything changes next time. Um, so, so I think just being able, honestly, it's p- that people see it and they love it. Mm. And they're like, you know, gosh darn it, it's hard to do, but it's totally worth it. And I think the play hits on many, many, many levels compared to other plays. I mean, on one level, it's a comedy, and that access is incredible, especially for Asian Americans to see themselves, and also the access for non-Asian Americans to actually see, to bring forth what the perceptions of Asian Americans are, and then to get closer at the end of the play that they, we're all connected. There's also the notion of fathers and daughters and children, the idea that there is this gulf. And with so much immigration and, uh, and refugee issues that are in the country today, there is a heart to this play and an immediacy to understanding why immigrants behave very differently in this country and why people who come to this country as refugees bring their histories and why they keep silent and the uh, result of that silence is impacted to their children. Hence, you know, we begin to play with Neri, the, the lead, one of the lead characters. And I think what's really profound, too, in the play is there is, I would call it, a, many different hearts in this play. And one of the big ones are that Lauren poses is, what would you do as an individual? What choices can you make? when survival is on the line? And what difficult choices would that be? Would, to, pre- to protect yourself and your family, would you kill? And what would you do as an individual if your country has changed its political system? And I think this used to be, I would have to say, for the last couple of years working on this play, has been a history lesson for me. In the last two weeks in this country, f- dealing with what we hear on the news, it's become more of a cautionary tale. And I'm at once excited and frightened when I encounter this play. And having seen it, experienced it from its beginning to now, it's a whole different lens I'm looking at. And one thing I love about this play in the end is 
And I think all of us feel that is no matter what happens with regime changes, when history bends and molds and when people come and they go in the midst of genocide, the enduring power of art and music will always remain. And I think we saw that in Paula Vogel's Indecent, and now we're seeing a different mm-hmm. version of it under Lauren's eyes. So I think people coming into this play always feel like, oh, we don't know what this is. Let's check it out. It's got some music. I'm going to enjoy this. There's some history. I'm going to learn something from this. But at the end of it, something powerful just hits you and socks you right in the gut. And I think that's the beauty of this play. And You've had a, at least a couple so far, and I know you've had them at other theaters as well. You've had Asian American Nights for the, mm-hmm. for the show. Are those important to you? And if so, why? What, what, what does that bring to the experience of the production? Yeah, I think very important. In- interestingly, this is the first time I think that we've done it on kind of a widespread, more official level. Uh, we've been able to do it, say, just like more informally in other theaters being like, hey, you know, like, this is this is Asian American Night, so you should all like just come then. And one of the big th- things that we got to do at Signature was like actually literally block off the whole theater for you know at least two performances and say, "Hey, Asian American audience members, who wants to come?" And it's this has kind of like been the beauty of it because it's not so much that you're like, oh, you get a free drink and that's why you're going or, oh, you get a free T-shirt. <laughs> I think it's literally about that people hear that concept of, would you like to watch this piece of theater that celebrates Asian American artists and stories in a space with other people who may look like you or may have some sort of shared history to you and that people hear that and they immediately are like I want in because the first Asian American night sold out in four hours even before like I really put it on social media and so I think that just speaks to people's hunger to be like I just want to know what that experience might be like and uh, and I think there's something freeing in a way to be able to experience the play with people who who have some sort of shared experience that you kind of get to almost like enjoy it more and not have to like censor yourself Mm. to be like oh everyone's very like silent uh and grim (laughs) um and there's and it's just fascinating to hear that the way people pick up on different things that like we get different laughs in different places Mm. And when we'd also we've also had uh, kind of Cambodian American crowds and like during specific performances, and they laugh at different places uh, too. So so I think it's you know that theater is so much about who is in the audience with you, mm. um, and so being able to see like what is that what is that like? Mm. This is uh, your first play as a resident mm-hmm. signature, yeah. Yes. Um, What's what's next for you? What what will we see next? Oh, that's a good question. At, Signa- at Signature, <laughs> yeah, or uh, anywhere else? Yeah, I mean, I, I have I have other plays that are going other places, um, but I think like the Signature relationship is going to be a really special one. I think I've kind of like kicked the door down <laughs> to start off the residency in a really great way that I think it's going to be like hard to top a little um, <laughs> yeah. just because this one has like everything. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's really great to have a home at signature and just be like, okay, like what are, 
what are the what are the things that I haven't done yet, um, and and how how should I how should I begin to approach that? They've been they've been very game. So I think once this dies down a little bit, I can talk with Paige Evans at Signature and say, hey, uh, these are these are some things I'm thinking. Right. So. And Shay, what's next for you? You alluded a little bit to this. Um, you're moving on from your position uh, at Victory Gardens. Um, what do you hope to do next? What's um, on your plate? Actually, my next project immediately after opening Lauren's play is to go into a new play that I commissioned at Victory Gardens called uh, Daba on Devon Avenue. We've been committed to telling stories, uh, just like South Coast mm-hmm. Rap, uh, about the communities. And one of the communities in Chicago that we don't really uh, give a platform to is the South Asian community. And it's actually the third largest in the country. Mm-hmm. And we commissioned this playwright to write a play about the community. So that's my next project. Great. In advance of going to see Cambodian rock band or yes. coming out of it and thinking, yes. oh, my gosh, I love this music, what do you recommend people listen to uh, either before or after? Yeah, well... We do not have a cast album out now. <laughs> Working on it. Um, <laughs> it'd be it'd be great if we did. I think that would that would be so much fun. You, you know, do just, have you do have band T-shirts. We should we, say which are quite do, cool. We do have band T-shirts. Uh, so since there is no cast album right now, um, you can go on Spotify and if you just search like Cambodian rock band. I made a Spotify playlist <laughs> that has uh, older, kind of older recordings from like Dengue Fever and and the oldies. So it like sounds different from ours, just because uh, our arrangements are different. Sure. But uh, but it's you know how it's a good way. Actually, how so? Tell us a little bit about what what yeah. in terms of what the arrangements were and how yeah. they wanted to sound. So so for instance, uh, you know we've we've we ha- we haven't changed any of the lyrics or any of like the music itself. Um, but we've kind of slotted it into different points in the narrative and based on where it is, that actually has influenced how these songs are arranged. Right. Uh, like or you for, want them to sound in terms of like an emotional yeah, impact? Yeah, or? like give it, giving the audience a sense of kind of emotionally where the characters are. So for instance, at the end of act one, kind of a very momentous, change has come you know to the lives of these characters and so when they sing this song by dengue fever called cement slippers it's it's more of like a fun song in dengue's original recording and then here at the end of act one it almost becomes like this desperate cry this like anthem because these young people are losing everything that they've dreamed of Mm. and and so that affects the music in a big way. And then in the beginning of Act Two, for instance, the uh, song Champa Badam Bang plays. And originally, Champa is, it's not a sad song. It's not, it's not kind of a requiem or a mournful song. It's very, it's kind of just like a sweet crooning tune but kind of in the context of the play, thinking about everything that the characters have lost, it just it takes on a much more like somber quality to it. Hmm. Um, and so and so that's kind of fun to think about. So if you listen to the Spotify playlist, it's not going to be the same as like our recordings, but right. you know. Right. So Cambodian rock band now at the Signature Theater and on Spotify. Um, thanks, Lauren. <laughs> thanks, Jay. Thanks Thank for being here. Nice to talk to you. All right.
That was writer Lauren Yee and director Che Yu, whose play Cambodian Rock Band is now playing at Off-Broadway's Signature Theater. If you like what you're hearing on this and other episodes of StageCraft, I'd so appreciate it if you would rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And you can find episodes or subscribe there or on Spotify or on the Broadway Podcast Network or anywhere else that finer podcasts are dispensed. If you've got feedback, you can find me on Twitter at GCoxVariety. I'll be back next week with another new episode. Until then, see you at the theater. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.